September 29th, 2020, and this is episode number 26 of Blurred Laws in Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. As the fans of Blurred Laws in Life undoubtedly know, for the first time in 26 weeks, we were dark last week. We did not have an episode of Blurred Laws in Life. And um, I want to explain to you all why. But I think it's best that I wait until the end of this episode to explain why there was no episode of Blurred Laws and Life last week. The good news for this episode of Blurred Laws and Life is that there were two cases, two very important cases, two very interesting cases that came out over the last two weeks, and I would like to discuss both of those today on this episode of Blurred Laws in Life. I think you all will very much enjoy them. One involves an actual decision in the TikTok litigation, which we have been following on Blurred Laws in Life. And the second is a very interesting copyright infringement decision involving Nicki Minaj. The latter, and I thought that I had seen just about everything in this area of law, presented a fact pattern and a case and a decision that I had never seen before. So I think you will find it interesting, as interesting as I do. I could not have predicted, actually, that the Nicki Minaj decision would come out the way it did. So I think you all will find the law in this area interesting and the court's analysis very interesting. But first to the TikTok decision by a federal district court in the D.C. circuit. So several weeks ago, I mentioned that TikTok filed a lawsuit in federal court in California moving to have President Trump's executive order forcing TikTok, or I should say its parent company, ByteDance, to sell the U.S. assets of TikTok to a U.S. company unconstitutional. I went through the reasoning of the lawyers in the complaint and the analysis why they were claiming that President Trump exceeded his powers in the executive order and why it was unconstitutional. Remember that in the United States, in order for the U.S. government to enact a law, and you might have seen this as a child, I did, there was a after-school special that described how the U.S. government creates a law, and they did it to a cartoon, and um, it was called I'm a Bill, I'm Just a Bill on Capitol Hill, and it was a catchy little melody, and it went through how a bill becomes law. And the way a bill becomes law is that Congress creates the bill, and then the president has to approve it, or he can veto it. And if he vetoes it, then it goes back to 
Congress where it would take a 75% majority to overrule the president's veto. But there is a way that the president can enact laws, and that is through executive power where he just exercises his presidential authority to issue an executive order, and that order can become law, but there are restrictions on the types of things that a president can do in an executive order. So, of course, President Trump or the Republican Party did not go through the process of creating a bill and then have it become law through the usual channels, but rather President Trump issued this executive order. Well, since I discussed that issue on Blurred Laws in Life, there have been a few developments that I've also discussed where first Microsoft was teaming up with Walmart to purchase TikTok. Then it was Oracle teaming up with Walmart to enter into a joint venture with TikTok where they would own 20% of the assets. And at first, President Trump said he was not going to support it. Then he said he would, and the Chinese government said they don't support it necessarily, and the drama continued. Now, since that time, the TikTok plaintiffs actually dismissed the case in California and refiled the case in the D.C. Circuit in Washington, D.C., the federal court in the D.C. Circuit in Washington, D.C., and asked the court to issue an injunction, a preliminary injunction to stop the enforcement of the president's executive order and to stop the TikTok app from being deleted from the Apple App Store. And just the other day, the court entered its order. Now, a preliminary injunction is a tricky thing. In a preliminary injunction, when someone moves for a preliminary injunction, they have to show several factors. They have to show a likelihood of success on the merits. They have to show that money damages will not suffice. They have to have the equities balanced in their favor. And they have to show that the injunction is in the public interest. One thing to note, I am often asked by my clients when they come to me in a copyright infringement case, whether we can get a preliminary injunction from the court to stop the sale of the infringing record. And the answer is you can, but generally speaking, it's cost prohibitive because a plaintiff, when he or she seeks a preliminary injunction in a case against another private party, has to post a bond to reimburse that defendant in the event that the injunction is improperly granted. So if you're talking about a hit song and you're talking about taking it off the market because it's allegedly infringing, even if you were to get a preliminary injunction, you might have to post a bond in the many, many millions of dollars. So it is cost prohibitive in the usual case involving private parties. In this case, President Trump relied on an act titled the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, or IEEPA, 
which allows a president, quote, to deal with any unusual and extraordinary threat which has its source in whole or substantial part outside the United States to the national security, foreign policy, or economy of the United States if the president declares a national emergency with respect to such threat. And on May 15, 2019, President Trump declared a national emergency with the respect to the threat of widespread use of quote-unquote communications technology that may be exploited by foreign adversaries. After Trump specifically highlighted TikTok as posing an emerging threat, he directed his Secretary of Commerce to ban TikTok in the United States. And the order prohibited TikTok from being available to download in any app store in the United States as of September 27th, 2020. And would ban TikTok entirely in the U.S., as of November 12th, 2020. TikTok then sought a preliminary injunction to prevent any of these prohibitions from going into effect at all. And just the other day, the court granted TikTok's motion and issued an injunction prohibiting President Trump's executive order from going into effect. And here is how the court analyzed the situation. First, Uh, the court found that TikTok is likely to succeed on the merits. The court reasoned that while the IEEPA gives the president broad authority, there are two exceptions relevant here. The act does not give the president the authority to regulate or prohibit directly or indirectly, one, the importation or exportation of information or information materials, or two, personal communications which do not involve a transfer of anything of value. The court found what President Trump was trying to regulate with TikTok here met both of those exceptions. It found TikTok content constituted informational material and the government was indirectly regulating it. It also found much of TikTok's content is personal communications with no economic value at all. Therefore, according to the court, President Trump had no power under the IEEPA to do what he tried to do. The court also found TikTok would suffer irreparable harm without an injunction. The court noted that TikTok adds 424,000 new users each day, and thus borrowing it from all app stores would have a direct and immediate effect of halting the influx of new users. The uncertainty of TikTok's future is also driving users to other platforms which compete with TikTok. Finally, according to the court, removing it from the app store would also harm TikTok's relationship with commercial partners and hinder its ability to recruit and retain employees or even maintain its business. Therefore, the court concluded, banning TikTok from all app stores would cause TikTok irreparable harm. Regarding the balance of equities and the public interest, the court recognized the courts typically defer to the president's judgment on how best to address a national security threat. The court did find that the U.S. government provided lots of evidence that China presents a significant national security threat, but noted that it was not as clear, however, how that threat is perpetuated by TikTok and whether these prohibitions are the only effective way to address such a threat. Regardless, the court found that TikTok is likely to succeed on its claim that President Trump did not have the authority to do what he did under the IEPA, and the government cannot suffer harm from an injunction that ends an unlawful practice. As such, the court granted TikTok's request for preliminary injunction 
with regard to the prohibition going into effect on September 27, 2020, banning TikTok from all app stores. The court did not grant the injunction with respect to the prohibitions going to effect on November 12, 2020, however, because there was no similar threat of immediate and imminent harm. One of the quotes that I'd like to share with you from the court's order is as follows. The court said, In sum, the TikTok order and the Secretary's prohibitions will have the intended effect of stopping U.S. users from communicating and thus sharing data with TikTok. To be sure, the ultimate purpose of those prohibitions is to protect the national security by preventing China from accessing that data and skewing content on TikTok. And the government's actions may not constitute direct regulations or prohibitions of activities carved out by the statute. But plaintiffs have demonstrated that they are likely to succeed on their claim that the prohibitions constitute indirect regulations of personal communications or the exchange of information or information materials. The Commerce Department issued their own statement on the district court's ruling, essentially saying that they disagreed with it and they plan to appeal. So it is obvious that this TikTok case is not over. The government plans to appeal and it will go to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And depending on how the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, it will likely go to the United States Supreme Court unless there is some type of settlement. And of course, this raises the specter of political division among the judicial branch. As we have all heard in the past week or so, there is a major controversy about whether President Trump should appoint the next Supreme Court justice to replace the recently deceased Ruth Ginsburg or should rest with our next president, whether it be Trump or Biden. As I mentioned in prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, laws are blurred. And many times the judge you get makes all the difference in the world. So the D.C. District Court judge interpreted the statute one way to say that the information is of no value that is displayed on TikTok. And the exception in the statute to information technology applies. I am willing to bet that a conservative panel, either at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals or in the United States Supreme Court, might not interpret the statute the same way. That is a perfect example of how laws are blurred, often subject to interpretation by a judge and why the result in seemingly similar cases oftentimes go different ways. So stay tuned because this soap opera is far from finished. Another case that I mentioned that was in the news this week that is very interesting is a copyright infringement claim involving Nicki Minaj. She was sued by Tracy Chapman 
And this decision was entered by the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California on September 19, 2020. In 2017, Nicki Minaj and Nas began working on a song called Sorry, which sampled Tracy Chapman's Baby Can I Hold You. Minaj and Nas were aware that to release a song, they would need to attain a license. However, they first wanted to experiment with the song in the studio. Um, it was undisputed that Minaj's song used lyrics and melodies from Chapman's song. In 2018, Minaj made many requests to use Chapman's song, but Chapman repeatedly denied those requests. In August of 2018, Nicki Minaj messaged a radio DJ offering them a world premiere of her new song, which would not be included on her album. According to the court, there's a dispute as to how Minaj's Sorry actually ended up in the hands of this radio DJ. However, on August 11, 2018, DJ Flex posted on Twitter that he would be playing new song sent by Minaj. Minaj commented, telling him not to play anything not included on her album. DJ Flex played Minaj's song anyways, and DJ Flex claims Minaj never sent him the song, and he was given the song by a blogger. Minaj also claimed that she did not give DJ Flex the song. After Sony was played on the radio, Chapman brought a suit for copyright infringement. She claimed a violation of her exclusive rights in two ways. One, Minaj created Sorry without permission from Chapman to use Baby Can I Hold You? And two, when Minaj allegedly distributed Sorry to DJ Flex without Chapman's permission, she created copyright infringement. Now, one thing that I should explain to everybody is that a copyright owner has six exclusive rights under the U.S. Copyright Act. Those exclusive rights are, one, to reproduce the copyrighted work in copies or phonorecords, physical or digital format. Two, to prepare derivative works based upon the copyrighted work. Number three, to distribute copies or phonorecords of the copyrighted work to the public by sale or other transfer of ownership or by rental, lease, lending, or license. In the case of literary, musical, dramatic, and choreographic works, pantomimes and motion pictures and other audiovisual works to perform the copyrighted work publicly. And in the case of those works as well, to include the works in motion pictures or other audiovisual works or to display the copyrighted work publicly. And finally, in the case of sound recordings, to perform the copyrighted work publicly by means of a digital audio transmission. So there were two of those exclusive rights at issue in the Minaj case. One was to create the work Sorry by incorporating into it the Chapman work, and two, to distribute it without permission. With respect to the latter, the court held that the matter of whether Minaj distributed the song to DJ Flex was a matter of fact for the jury to resolve. But on the initial creation of the work, the court ruled that Minaj did not commit copyright infringement. I'm aware of no case like this before this case ever being analyzed in this way. And let me explain to you how the court analyzed it. 
the court said the Copyright Act provides that the fair use, there's a fair use defense to a copyright infringement claim, which we can discuss at a later date, but in essence, it applies for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research. And if it is fair use, then that is an absolute defense to a copyright infringement claim. The court went on to say, in determining whether a use is fair use, courts consider four factors. The purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes. Two, the nature of the copyrighted work. Three, the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. And four, the effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. In raising this fair use defense, Minaj claimed that the purpose of her recording was to experiment with the artist's vision and to create a work to be submitted to Chapman for approval. Chapman believed, on the other hand, that the use was commercial and non-transformative and therefore was not fair use. The court noted that Minaj never intended to exploit the work without a license and even removed Sari from her upcoming album when the license was rejected. The court noted that according to testimony and expert opinion that the practice of artists in the industry is to sample internally to experiment with different works before getting a license but then only to release the song if a license can be obtained. And that, quote, a ruling uprooting these common practices would limit creativity and stifle innovation within the music industry. This is contrary to copyright law's primary goal of promoting the arts for the public good. This factor thus favors a finding of fair use, period, end quote. The court went on to say that Chapman's work was a musical composition and is exactly the kind of work copyright law is meant to protect. And so that factor, the nature of the copyrighted work, weighed against fair use. With respect to the factor of amount and substantiality of the portion used, the court said, quote, here it is undisputed that the new work incorporates most of the composition's lyrics and incorporates parts of the vocal melodies from the composition. Nevertheless, the portion of the composition that Minaj used was no more than that necessary to show Chapman how Minaj intended to use the composition in the new work. The court concluded that this factor favors a finding of fair use. And then finally, the court analyzed, with respect to the factor of the effect of the use upon the potential market, that while Chapman claimed that Minaj's song would hurt the potential market for licensing her song, the court found that Minaj did not intentionally exploit the song and that, quote, the creation of the work for private experimentation and to secure a license from the license holder has no impact on the commercial market for the original work, end quote. So the court concluded that Minaj's use of Chapman's song was fair use. The decision, as I mentioned above, does not address whether Minaj giving her track to DJ Flex would constitute copyright infringement, and the court was reserving its ruling in that regard because it said there were factual disputes on that issue. Only that it was fair use for Minaj to sample Chapman's song internally in the studio. 
an interesting point the court made with respect to the commercial use factor that I mentioned above was that, quote, the crux of the distinction is not whether the sole motive of the use is monetary gain, but whether the user stands to profit from exploitation of the copyrighted material without paying the customary price. And here, the court said that Nicki Minaj did not do so. And another interesting quote from the case is where the court said, quote, court should also consider the public benefit resulting from a particular use, notwithstanding the fact that the alleged infringer may gain commercially. The public benefit need not be direct or tangible, but may arise because the challenge use serves a public interest. Artists usually experiment with works before seeking licenses from rights holders, and rights holders typically ask to see a proposed work before approving a license. Chapman has requested samples of proposed works before approving license requests herself because she wanted, quote, to see how the work will be used, end quote, before approving the license, yet Chapman argues against the very practice she maintains. So in all, a very interesting decision, one that I had never seen before, where the issue is whether the mere copying of another work for internal use under these circumstances is copyright infringement. And in this case, the court held it was not as a matter of law. It does not appear to be a very far-reaching decision, one that will have an impact beyond this case, because obviously if someone copies a work but does not distribute it, there's no financial gain, there's no damage, there are no profits that a plaintiff might seek to recover in a copyright infringement case. But it is interesting nonetheless that the court said that under the practice in the industry to prohibit a party from copying a work while not intending to distribute it is not copyright infringement, even if, as occurred here, the work somehow leaks to the public. Now for the hard part. Blurred Laws in Life has been a blessing for me. It has allowed me not only to have a forum and a platform to discuss legal issues, which I enjoy doing, but also, as everyone knows, who listens to this show on a weekly basis, allows me to share personal stories. I've had friends on, clients on, to discuss a whole array of topics. And as part of this podcast, which I do enjoy making a bit personal and sharing personal stories, a few weeks ago I mentioned that it was my mom's birthday and I told a few stories about her. I had mentioned previously in episodes of Blurred Laws in Life that she has had Alzheimer's for a few years now and that it was progressing now relatively rapidly. So I took the opportunity to tell a lot of different stories about my mom and how she impacted my life as I mentioned 
in earlier episodes. My dad died when I was very young. My brother and sister are significantly older than I am. My brother is 16 years older than me, and I believe my sister is 14 years older than me. So after my dad died when I was a child, um, it was basically my mom and I um, against the world living in a pretty tough neighborhood. Um, But she was the toughest, most selfless woman that I have ever known. Um, Despite the fact that we really had nothing, my mom had a brother who lived in New York City who was a very, very successful and wealthy businessman. And she never at any time asked him for anything. I am sure if she had, he would have been happy to help her, but she refused to ask him for anything. And in fact, whenever I at any time said anything about that or was critical of him for not helping us, she would immediately defend him to the end. She loved him unconditionally and always said he has his own life, he has his own expenses, and she did not want to be a burden to him. She didn't want to be a burden to anybody. We did not have a car, so we, as I mentioned before, took the bus wherever we went, Um, walked to the bus stop and literally took the bus every place we went in Miami. As I think I also mentioned, by the time I was nine or ten years old, I had memorized the entire bus schedule and system for the entire city of Miami. So on September 20th, I received a text message from my brother to call me that my mother had been rushed to the hospital, that she could not breathe, and that she was in intensive care and she had a respirator inserted into her to allow her to breathe and that I should um, get to the hospital as soon as I could. So on Monday, September 21st, I was at the hospital and after consulting with the doctor and with my brother and sister, um, we decided on Tuesday, September 22nd to remove the respirator even though it meant in all likelihood that um, she would uh, pass away. So we did on September 22nd. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. I had to sign the papers, a DNR, do not resuscitate. Literally, the doctor gave me the pen to sign it. I stood there for minutes inconsolably, and um, my brother and sister ultimately pretty much made me sign. And um, they removed the respirator, and miraculously, she did not pass away, but she was able to breathe on her own. And she did so for an entire week. And I think she did that because I can say that in my adult life, I have not spent an entire week with my brother and sister and with my mom all together. And I truly believe that she didn't want to go because we were all together. So for an entire week, she survived. I was able to get her back 
home on Thursday, September 24th, so that she could be in the comfort of her own home with a hospice nurse. And um, our family surrounded her from the time we arrived, from the time she was in the hospital, I should say, until today, this morning, September 29th. And at 6.30 a.m. this morning, September 29th, she took her final breaths and she is gone. She passed away without pain, in comfort, and I hope knowing that she was loved by many, many, many people. I know she does because we were given a gift. We were given more than a week to be able to tell her everything we all wanted to say to her. And um, that was a gift to have that time. I said everything that I wanted to say to her, told her everything that I needed to say, told her I was sorry for everything I've ever done, being a bad boy. <laughs> and um, she's gone now. But um, that's why we did not have episode number 26 last week. But her life is one to be celebrated. She lived an incredible life. She saw amazing things. So this episode once more and for the last time is dedicated to my mom who passed away just this morning, September 29th, 2020 at 6.30 in the morning. And I thought I would share one final story about my mom that in my mind epitomizes the selfless and caring and love that she had for all of her children. When I was about five years old, I was in my backyard and I was stung by a bee and immediately had a very serious allergic reaction where my throat tightened up, turned red, couldn't breathe. And I was in the backyard with my childhood best friend at the time when I was very little, Nancy Phillips. And she felt bad for me. I think she felt bad because she thought that I was crying because she had Fig Newtons and I didn't. And she started stuffing Fig Newtons in my mouth, making me literally choke while I could not breathe and my throat was tightening up. So... I did survive and we went to the doctor and my mother was told that I was allergic to bee stings. I had an allergy to bee stings and that if I was stung again, it could be very serious. So the doctor said that I needed to go get twice a week shots to prevent allergic reactions to bee stings. And the doctor's office was about a mile away from our house. And so the doctor said that I needed to go twice a week for about six months, and that should do it. So every Tuesday and Thursday, my mother and I, after school, would walk about a mile there and back to the doctor's office, Dr. Kramer, I remember his name, Dr. Kramer, I can still picture the building, to get my twice-weekly shots. And as I said, the doctor said that we were supposed to go for about six months, and that should take care of it. Well... That wasn't good enough for my mother. So my mom and I went twice a week, every week, not for six months, not for a year, not for two years, 
but for three years because she wanted to make sure that I was cured and that there would be no damage to me if I was ever stung by a bee again. Three years. The doctor said six months. That wasn't good enough for her. We went for three years until the doctor finally said, Mrs. Bush, that's enough. Even if he gets stung by a swarm of bees, he will be fine. That was my mom. That was the love that she had for her children. So in the words of Elton and Bernie and to my mom, how wonderful life has been with you in the world. We were able to go through my mom's apartment and we found a literal treasure trove of pictures from many years ago from when I was a baby and child with my mom, my mom when she first got married, all kinds of pictures and I will post some of them on the Blurred Laws and Life Instagram page now with more than 170 followers. They said it was impossible, but we've done it. More than 170 followers on the Blurred Laws and Life Instagram page. So please check it out. I will post those pictures soon. Um, I love you, Mom, and I always will. And I hope you all have enjoyed this episode number 26 of Blurred Laws and Life. And I look forward to talking to you all again next week.